good deal. Once they got there to Babylon, for 48 years they were slaves in a land that absolutely hated them. But during that time that God's people were in Babylon, Persia defeated Babylon and God caused a new king by the name of Cyrus to allow Israel, to allow God's people to return to their homeland. Cyrus issued a decree that all of God's people who wanted to go home could. But incredibly, less than 50,000 people, that's one in six of God's people, wanted to go home. The rest of them were comfortable in slavery. You see, the longer and farther you're away, the less you want to go home. Within two months of being home, those people who did go back immediately began building the foundation of God's temple. But Israel's enemies began to discourage them, and the Jews got lazy. And soon, they quit rebuilding the temple altogether. Listen carefully. For 16 years, not one stone was laid for the temple. For 16 years, not one board was cut to build the temple. For 16 years, not one of God's people raised a finger to rebuild the temple of God. And during this time, almost mysteriously, crops began to fail. Almost mysteriously, during the 16 years, the harvests were very slim. Almost mysteriously, the crops were skimpy. The plants were barely alive. It reminds us of the truth that exists today, that you reap what you sow. But how could this be? How could this be when so many of God's people obeyed God and returned to Israel? Could it be that because there was no temple... There was therefore no worship, and therefore there was no time for God. Could it be that while there was no temple and no worship and no time for God, there was plenty of time for whining, complaining, and criticizing? Now, in years past, God judged his people for that kind of behavior. But this time, instead of judgment, God sent a plan. 
Instead of judging his people this time, God sent a plan of revival. God sent a plan of renewal. He sent a plan of spiritual awakening. He sent a plan of rescue. And in God's plan of renewal, God first called on his people to eliminate the excuses. Eliminate the excuses. In the Bibles in front of you, on page 831, I want you to turn there with me. I want you to follow along with this narrative in the book of Haggai. In the book of Haggai, on page 831, beginning in the first chapter, I want you to see for yourself how God told his people to eliminate the excuses. Verse 1, chapter 1 of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, who was governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying this. Ready? Ready? Say amen. amen. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts. Who's talking? Who's talking? God is talking. He says, this people says, the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? How many of you know that, man, people can come with all kinds of excuses? Amen? People come up with tons of excuses while they're unwilling to go to God's house to worship. They come up with tons of excuses why they're unwilling to worship with the body of Christ. But they're always willing to go to a ball game. They're always willing to do something they prefer. Billy Sunday called an excuse the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Ben Franklin said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses who was also good at anything else. You see, excuses rarely have any value to man. But if you're listening, say amen. amen. Excuses never have any value when it comes to God. Why? I'm going to give you some reasons why. First of all, because excuses bring separation. Excuses bring separation. Just think about it. God's people were back in Israel. They're back in the promised land. But they were still far from God. Can I tell you that just because you are in this place does not mean you are close to God. The place of God is is never a substitute for the person of God. In other words, religion is no substitute for relationship. How do you know, Bill? 
Well, just notice there in verse 2. In verse 2, you said it. God said this. This people said the time has not come, etc., etc. Now, I read that and I said, so God said this people. Why didn't God say my people said this, this, and this? Could it be they weren't? Could it be that although they were in the promised land, if the truth be known, they weren't really God's people? You know, we can say all day long, man, I'm just too busy. All day long, I'm too tired. You can say it all day long, the work is too hard. But that does not affect the fact that the time has come to build the house of the Lord. And we are all called as believers to build the house of God. Excuses are what brings separation. But excuses also are usually transparent. These people, they are terribly inconsistent. Horribly inconsistent. They said it's not time to build the house of God, but it was time to build their own house. Some of those people who were building their own house weren't just building ordinary homes. The Bible says they were building paneled houses. To you and I, that don't mean a hill of beans. But to them... Paneled houses were the kind of houses that kings built for themselves. So what are they really saying? What they're really saying is this. We got time for everything but you, Lord. But what could be more important than meeting with God and his people? I mean, whose schedule are you on anyway? You on God's schedule? Or are you on your own schedule? I believe that God says today, eliminate your excuses. But he also says, evaluate your priorities. Look in verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. Who's talking? Say it louder if you know it. God is talking. He says... Consider your ways. Consider your ways. In my Bible, it's got an exclamation point behind it. God is saying, consider your ways. You have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. I got a pair of shorts that I work out in every now and then. And I, I remember putting some gum in my pocket. Well, down there in, in the very corner of that pocket is where that gum melted. And so I had to cut the corner out of my pocket because my gum was in there. So now I got what in my pocket? A big hole in my pocket. Every single time that I put on those shorts, I put something in that pocket. And where does it end up? On the ground. One of these days, I'm going to slip my wallet in there, and I'm going to say, Janet, where is my wallet? And it's going to be put in that pocket of holes. 
evaluate your priorities. You see, all truly successful people have been people who prioritize. All truly successful people are those who put their priorities, get this, in order, in proper order. One man was devoting most of his time and energy to trivial things, and his buddy said, it reminds me of a bulldog chasing a train. What's he going to do when he catches it? Amen? Now, I know that we all have undeniable preferences. Stop for a minute and just think about your weekly schedule. Would you agree with me that we do what we really want to do? We do what we really want to do. You say, well, i got to go to work. You know, yeah, you do, but it's because you want what comes out of that work, right? We do what we really want to do. And if you're honest, I want you to ask yourself this question, who is first? Who is first in your weekly schedule? And then ask yourself this question, who should be first? Think about this. As long as the temple laid in ruins, the people, for the most part, didn't worship God. They might have said, well, I, I, I watch the TV evangelist. Or I listen to the radio. No. For the most part, they didn't worship God. For 16 years, worship was not a priority. So friend, who or what? in your life, should be first this week. Remember that lost people are watching you to see what their priority should be. Backslidden Christians are watching you to see if you're inconsistent. But more importantly than all that, the Lord is watching to see if you're going to bring him glory this week. We all have undeniable preferences. But we must also recognize that there are undeniable consequences for those preferences. God said, consider your ways. Consider your ways. According to these scriptures, when our priorities are out of order... When worshiping, honoring God, and serving God are way down on your list, you're going to have labor, but without productivity. You're going to have crops, but they're going to be meager and weak. You'll go to lots of church meetings, but they'll lack power. When God is placed fourth, fifth, sixth, twelfth on down the list, you may receive, but you'll never be satisfied. When God is not your priority, you'll eat, but you'll never get your fill. You'll drink, but you'll still be thirsty. You'll have a whole bunch of things. You'll have a big fat bank account, but it will never be enough. God said, it'll be like a pocket with a corner cut out. A bag 
with holes. How many of you have heard? Even the rich say, I can barely make ends meet. Why? Because as their income escalates, so what? So does what? So do their bills. And so they're never satisfied. No matter what, they're never satisfied. There's never enough. They can blame anybody they want, but listen carefully. The only one they can really look at, the real problem is personal. It's not my fault. It's not your husband's fault. It's not your wife's fault. It's your fault that you're not satisfied. It's your fault that you're not filled. It's your fault that your thirst is not being quenched because your personal relationship with God is lacking. If you're honest, he's way on down the list. Maybe God's not number one in your priorities. So what does he say? He says, first, you've got to eliminate your excuses because there ain't none. It's the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. But second, he says, it's time for you to evaluate or reevaluate your priorities. And to go on further, he says, you also need to accelerate your involvement. Look there in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Who's talking here? Who? God is talking. What does he say? Consider your ways. Now, when God says something once, you better pay attention. When God says something twice, it better change your life. He says it for the second time. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring the wood. And listen to this. Build the temple. Build the temple. That I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house is in ruins. And every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land, and on the mountains, and on the grain, and on the new wine, and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth, on men, and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Friends, did you hear that call for obedience? God says, build the temple. What's he talking about? Well, last week I mentioned that the temple of the Holy Spirit is what? Your body, your life. You need to be about building this temple, making it an honorable place for the Lord to live, making it a great place for the Holy Spirit to dwell. But we also talk about the fact that Paul calls the church the temple of God. We need to be about building the church, building our lives. It's not either or, it's and. It's our life and the church. See, what we need to do is we need to learn who's in charge here. Amen? We need to learn who's in charge. That's the problem we got. We don't know who's in charge. The Lord of hosts is in charge. He's the one saying all this. He's in charge. There can only be, get this, one commander-in-chief. Only one. 
General Douglas MacArthur learned this the hard way. In the Korean War, Mac Mac uh, Douglas MacArthur was ordered to go only so far into North Korea. But he said, I got the Chinese and the North Koreans on the run. And he says, there'll never be an opportunity to win. And so he went and he captured the North Korean capital and he took matters into his own hands and he threatened a massive strike against the Chinese. And you're never going to believe what happened then. President Truman called MacArthur home and fired him on the spot. Why? There can only be one commander-in-chief, and he wasn't it. Friends, there can only be one commander-in-chief over your life. There can only be one commander-in-chief over the church of God. And he calls us all to obey him. But there's a reason. There's a cause for this obedience. God always has a reason. Amen? He's always got a reason for what he's doing. And one of the reasons is our involvement in building the temple, whether it be your life and body or the church, our involvement in God's purposes please the Lord. It makes him happy. Look there in verse 8. He said, God said, go up to the mountains and bring the wood and build the temple. Why? That I may take pleasure in it. How many of you have heard that when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Amen? Well, I got news for you. When the Lord ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. When we are involved in his work as he instructs us to be, the Lord is pleased. He's happy. But not only does our involvement please God, but it also brings him glory. Look there again in verse 8. Go to the mountains and bring the wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You see, every one of us need to be doing something greater than ourselves. Every one of us need to be doing something that can only be explained by God. We do things in our own power. We do things in our own ability. We do things in our own comfort zone. And what glory for God is there? You could have done it without him. Bring glory to God. By allowing him to use you wherever he chooses. Wherever he chooses, allow God to use you. Bloom where you're planted. Wherever you are, glorify God. People of God, listen carefully. In order to do that, we must eliminate our excuses. We must evaluate our priorities. And we have to accelerate our involvement. But finally... We need to appreciate God's presence. Look in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, get this, with all, say all, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed. Wow. Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the presence of the Lord. They worshiped the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. And so the Lord, the Lord stirred up the spirit 
of Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Judah. And he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest. And he stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came, and look what they did. They worked. They worked. They served the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius. 24-year-old Danny Simpson was sentenced to six years for robbing a bank. He got six years in the clink for stealing $6,000. But the gun Danny was using ended up in a museum. You see, that 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic handgun turned out to be an antique. It was a 1918 Ross Rifle Company 45, uh, 45 millimeter handgun. And that gun was worth over $100,000. If Danny Simpson had known what he had in his hand, he wouldn't have ended up in jail. That sounds like a whole lot of Christians that I know. They've got the power of God. They experience the presence of God. It's already in their hands. But they just don't yield to him. They don't surrender to the Lord. They don't submit to his purposes. God promises his presence to the believer. I am with you, says the Lord. I don't know how many times in the Bible he says that and reiterates that, but it's a lot. Amen? I am with you, my child. I am with you, my son. I am with you, my daughter. We need to take that promise personally. We need to remember that God is with us, not just here, but tomorrow morning when you're hitting the, the pavement and you're working. We need to remember that God's right there. He's with you personally. But we also need to remember that God promises his power. God stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor. He stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest. But he also stirred up the spirit of all those people, of all the remnant of God's people. And they all came together and they all worked to build the house of God. They all worked together. Friends, that is how the power of God is manifest. When God's people come together and they work together and they serve God together, that is how the power of God is manifested in the world we live in. Friends, will he do it through you? God wants to stir your spirit this morning. Has he stirred your spirit this morning to get to work building the house of God? Romans 8.31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? We need to take that to heart. And now, friends, as our deacons come forward to prepare the Lord's Supper, I want you to see God's final promise this morning. 
God's final promise is found in Haggai chapter 2, the next chapter in verse 4. Everybody look up it with me when you find it. Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. Everybody with me? Listen to what is said. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Friends, God wants us. He wants us to have a passion for him that will grow in our daily lives. He wants us to have a passion for him that will grow in our church, that will grow in our community. He wants us to have a passion for him that will grow in our country and grow to the uttermost parts of the world. But it can only come. Are you listening? Say amen. It can only come as you're willing to eliminate your excuses. It can only come as you're willing to evaluate your priorities, accelerate your involvement, and appreciate the presence of God. So my question for you as I finish the message is this. Are you ready to face the Lord your God? Are you ready to face the Lord your God? Jesus, the Son of God, gave up his body and shed his blood as a sacrifice for my sins and yours so that we could all stand before God. This Lord's Supper symbolizes that sacrifice. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you for allowing us the privilege to be involved in building the temple of God, whether it be our lives or the church. We know that it's both. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be instruments in your holy hand to do that. Father, I pray that every person as they leave this building this morning will be able to say, I am able, I am ready to stand before God and face my maker. And the only reason they'll be able to say that is because they have placed their faith and their trust in the only means for salvation, and that is your son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, I pray that it has great meaning. I pray that it opens our eyes to what Jesus did for us. I pray that it changes our lives. In his name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Friends, as the deacons now distribute the bread, there's some things I want you to be reminded of. I want you to be reminded that with every punch, with every whip, and with every nail 
that Jesus took on his body, listen to me, he was thinking of you. As I was thinking about the Lord's Supper this morning, I was wondering what are the elements of a good relationship? What are the elements of a real relationship? And the first thing that come to my mind, I pray it's the same thing that came to your mind, and that is a relationship requires love. True, real love. And as I considered the Lord's Supper this morning, I was led to 1 John chapter 3, where John says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 